0: Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host... CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Loughlin.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin and the Cloud Credential Council. Now, today, we're joined by Trevor Sumner, who's CEO of Perch. Trevor, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
1: Fantastic. Now Trevor, first off, you you describe yourself as a technologist, an adventurer, and a New Yorker. Now tell us a little bit about yourself. What what's what's going on there?
0: Well, I mean, I think those are the three pieces that you know really helped define me. Um, yeah. you know, uh, my father was a, a lifelong Bell Labs guy. He's his team has created Unix, the T1 line, modern pieces of S systems. So I grew up in an electrical engineering household. Uh of ES major from Princeton, graduated in 98 when it was, you know, the the hype of the first internet boom and just kind of went to startups and technology and just, you know, really how exciting technology is in terms of the way it's redefining the way we interact with the world and the way we interact with each other, the way we perceive it, the information, the data. It's changed virtually everything over the last 20 years. And being part of that, being part of the evangelism of those technologies has been a really exciting part of my life and i think that feeds into the adventurer part which is yes. you know i've scuba dived in every continent including antarctica uh, i've scuba dived in the most shark infested waters in the world um i'm currently planning a trip to do great white shark diving uh those type Fantastic. of adventures is yes you know it all goes hand in hand it's a lot of adrenaline rushing uh yes. and then lastly i'm a new yorker which i think has always played in i actually live in i grew up in the the house where uh, I am legend was filmed right in Washington square park, so really I, yeah with the with the i mean literally the best porch in New York City with the arch right there, and you know I had you know yeah. first tickets to the gay rights movement and yes. through um you know uh, the AIDS crisis and to the cleaning up of the park. I grew up where you know it wasn't so safe in the park, and now it's probably the 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 the, the, the most posh place to live, so yeah um, yes. I think I would say I've seen a lot. I've, uh, I, I like things that are you know, fast-paced, high energy, yes. um, and high impact. And that's what, that's, that's what I love about life because you only got sure. one of them. might as
1: well live You've it. only got one. Absolutely. I, I live by that myself. You have one of them. It's not a dress rehearsal. You know, go live your life as well. I think that intro, it, it kind of makes all this IT and technology sound fun as well. And it can be it doesn't have to be anything other than that as well so you sound but one thing i want to ask is it sounds like you haven't seen the film jaws uh well,
0: I, I have seen jaws uh i actually have a great photo of me with a, in, in a swarm of sharks uh one of them got a little close to me and so my wife saw me headbutt a shark as it went by me uh so it, ter- it turns out sharks don't Kill people very often. You're much you're, you're you're much more in danger around bees and deer and other things. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, well, at the same time, you know, I wouldn't get on a motorcycle. So,
1: <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, different things for different folks. What we'll do is we'll try and get a photograph of that sh- you and that shark situation. We'll do something with that, but we'll come back to that another day. Now, Trevor. Your company, Perch, uh, I, you know, when we look at it, is transforming the in-store retail experience, and I think you're using the, some of the latest digital technologies to help achieve that. So, listen, tell us a little bit about about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, the idea is that you know, 87% of people start their product discovery journeys online. Why? Yes. Because that's where the content is, right? We want ratings and reviews and videos and how to's. We're on our phone, you know, five hours a day, addicted to this thing. And, you know, millennials are consuming 18 hours of media. And ironically, the one place to go where there's no media is in store, where you're supposed to be shopping, right? And so, why is that? And what we asked is, you know, online, I can click on a product to get more information. We should be able to click on products in store, right? Yes. So the moment that you touch a product, we know which product you're interested in. It's, it's kind of like clicking on a product. It's giving you permission to say, tell me more. So we create yes. these interactive retail displays, basically touchscreens built into the shelving. And the moment I touch a product, it knows what I touched and reacts. It's kind of like, I don't know, have you seen Minority Report?
1: Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, so as the person's going by, it's like, oh, you're interested in this thing. And let me tell you about it. And da, 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 da. It's exactly like that and you know, what that means is for the first time you know instead of you know a digital signage that says maybe it's maybelline like how does that help me you know pick out a mascara uh, right yeah, yeah. actually message every single product on the shelf and the bottom line is we're seeing about 30 to 130 percent sales lifts and then we've got access to all this really interesting data right so now i can tell you which products convert the best which media is most effective of course, yeah. I think about old-school digital media as like a, the banner ad of in-store retail, right? It's yes, just yeah. a, a flashing something message that's not personalized. It's not about me. It's not contextual. It's not engaging. It's not interactive. Yes. And banner ads died for a reason, right? Like we got banner blindness. And, and now we have digital signage blindness. Like we walk in the store and we actively like try to go find because it's noise.
1: It's noise, so, isn't it, Yeah.
0: So we want to be the future of in-store media, really highly relevant, product-based, helpful, interactive, and frankly, it's magical.
1: Yeah, and you said something there which really, really struck a chord with me. Um, you said it's it's using this to say, to you know, for the customer to say, tell me more about the product, not sell me more about the product. It's actually tell me more about it i can make up my own mind what i want to buy don't push it down me but i'm more likely to make a decision if i'm more informed and i what interested me in in this story with perch is unlike the online stuff you have the physical person in a physical store with a physical product now interacting with technology to understand the decisions that they want to make
0: yeah no absolutely and the goal is to combine the best of physical and digital shopping, right? So yeah, yeah. I couldn't help but notice that fancy headphone that you have on with that glowing blue microphone. Ah, Very fancy. Ah, Very fancy. Uh, it's you know, How do you go about picking out something like that, right? Like let's <laughs> say you go to a Best Buy and they're 10, yeah. right? Yeah. You want to touch it, you want to see it, but then you want to see the reviews and like, what, you know, does it have noise cancellation or doesn't it have noise cancellation? Does that connect to your phone? Does it, com- is it compatible with an iPhone or an Android? And if you go into a Best Buy, you get a three by five card. That's not gonna work, right? Yeah. So all these products and all the best experiences are really combining the best of physical and digital shopping. And to your yeah. point, it's not, it's, it's, it's informative, but also like, what, are, what, what holds me back from making a decision on a product? Like for that, it might be comparisons of products. For a lipstick, it's, what does it look like on my face? So we have one where you literally pick up a lipstick and it puts the lipstick on your face. So you can try green and blue and red and all the different shades. Um, uh, For Kate Spade, we do, you pick up a purse and you can personalize it with polka dots, stripes, flaps and straps, Mm -hmm. and you know, that shows 80 to 180% sales lift because seeing all the combinations and personalizing the purse just for you is really impactful. Um, another example is, you know, Johnson and Johnson, right? As soon as I pick up a Band-Aid, I know you've got cuts, like, hey, you know you need me as foreign for that too if you want it to heal faster. So it's really thinking through the mentality of the customer and how to inform them, how to engage them, and sometimes even how to entertain them.
1: Yeah, um, and with that in mind, do you consider what Purge is doing? Are you a disruptor? in the industry or an enabler or can you look at that from both angles
0: i I think disruptors are by by definition enablers of new models right um uh i think this is disruptive i think the entire retail industry is going through a massive amount of disruption Uh, rapid i mean uh it's rare in history that you see a four trillion dollar market um really going under so much churn um right now and Uh, you know, we often get compared to digital signage, and it, it's, it's just it's very difficult for me, uh, just because I think, if, you know, you can tell, I think, not so highly of traditional digital signage. I think it's a banner yeah. app, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And we're seeing kind of 5 to 10x different types of results. I think of it actually, you know, going back to it, like the iPhone, right? I had a phone before the iPhone. It had a web browser. It had apps. It had text. It had calls. It was a flip phone. And it had the same functions, but just this is a radically different device. It's a yes. magnitude level of disruption that has opened up the mobile web, mobile apps, all yeah. kinds of data. Um, I see it as that too. We're you know, similar to some things in the past, but fundamentally different and disruptive in the way we enable brands to have visibility into what consumers are doing at the shelf, the way retailers and brands work together, the ability to bridge online to in store back to online. These are all yeah. new, powerful,
1: disruptive concepts. I like that, and I think some of the organizations listening to this have to take that approach in industries where they are being disrupted um, as well, and how to remain relevant. Even the banking industry, we spoke recently with somebody from insurance, all these traditional industries seem to be coming under under pressure. And I think um, unless they take this type of approach as well, that they, they may lose relevancy uh, at some say the way retail has kind of lost some relevancy for people as you said millennials you know pick up the phone they will order online or if they go to best buy they want to physically feel it but then they're checking the reviews online see a better price i can wait till you know a couple of days to get that in or if yeah. i have a prime i'll get it tomorrow and then the store missing that so i i think that's great thinking that's in this industry we have to be disruptive but enabling at the same time and we have to be adapting to what disrupted us in the last iteration to figure out what the new model is because i think a lot of this technology is driving us to think about new things and new models is that where it's, it's taking us
0: yeah i think absolutely i think e-commerce has really made people question a lot of things uh you yeah. but i also yeah. think a lot of misconception around e-commerce so um, for example, you mentioned millennials wanting to, to go online. So do you think millennials prefer to shop in-store or online?
1: That's interesting. I had a conversation last week with uh, with, well, my view was that um, I think if retail got a different experience, like what you're talking about, that it would draw people in, but they have to change. And this person I was talking to said, no, I just want to easily, I, he had a coat. I just bought this online um, and that was it. But I said to him, what you're talking about is buying, that that whole thing is a commodity that you could get anywhere. There's no differentiation in that. But say it was your your sneakers and you could go in and commoditize, you could not commoditize, it. you could change those, as you said, the bag with the straps. You could do different things and interact differently. It would probably make you want to go into the store and have the experience that we used to have of going shopping. Because with that comes meeting friends, going for a coffee, the trip in, the trip out, the, then the experience of actually designing your sneakers and maybe getting them in the shop or getting them to, at the same time if you'd ordered them online. But you've personalized them and you've been allowed to do that by these intelligent systems.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the fact is actually 82% of millennials prefer shopping in store. They They want that experience, right? but mm. the reality is many stores fail to deliver on it and and the other the other thing to look at is you know uh, millennials are twice as likely to spend money on experiences than goods right so yes, if yes. your retail experience isn't just that an experience you're yes. going to lose out on the goods part of it too and so yes. you see the pop-up of like museum of ice cream and WikiLux and all these guys who <laughs> have created experiences around their product and they're wildly successful right yes. luggage away you know uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know th- these are these are companies that are building experience around around their retail and shopper journeys and they're extraordinarily successful because the brands are also trying to establish more direct ties with yeah. you know, yeah. their customers
1: yeah i see that myself i was surprised with the percentage you gave us to 82 um but as you said they want the experience not so much just a purchase piece, which which is now commoditized. Um, and when I go into retail stores, wherever it is, on travels across across the world, the ones that I see that haven't changed, that are just the the, the shops with the racks, and that's that's pretty much it. Everything stacked up. They don't interest me anymore. Well, is that's. That, right. I mean,
0: yeah. the, the days of just putting products on the shelf are over. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Amazon has tens of millions of SKUs on their virtual shelves. So you can't beat them at the game because like it used to be like, hey, this is the only store that has this selection. Like, yes, you, you can't win on selection. Yes. You can't win on price. You can't yes. win on delivery, where yes. you win on, on experience, on discovery, on the serendipity of touching products and researching them, of talking to people in different areas, you know, um, in the luxury market, the sales associate is critical. Um, and the other part about the retail market is basically, they call it the barbell, where the luxury market's doing really well, and yes. the grocery and discount market's doing well, but that middle market is, is really um, uh, struggling. And that also has to do with demographics in America with the collapsing of our middle class.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, um, when we look at some of these digital technologies with cloud, big data, internet of things, artificial intelligence, um, how are they helping you differentiate in the, the retail sector?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting because retail as, as a whole kind of has been in the stone age in terms of technology. Uh, <laughs> yes. They really haven't invested very much in their yeah. models. They've been kind of watching as Amazon has grown to be this behemoth and disruptive model. And, yeah. and you know, now, uh, now all of a sudden they realize like this is an existential threat, right? Uh, they've been very slow to react so you still have payment systems with the old green screens and all those type of things and so the good news is that people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to re-architect the infrastructure from this from scratch and start adopting um you know cloud-based data systems and big data personalization crm they're fighting for customer data that they own um so the the, the e-commerce kind of threat has shown them the value of digital competencies in yes. even in-store retail and it, it, what's interesting is like you know, I just came back from National Retail Federation which is the largest trade show in, in retail in the US and uh, it was all about you know technology in store right like that's you know making the stores an asset again from logistics centers supply chain customer interaction customer engagement payment systems cashierless checkout everything around the technology and the digitization of store that's the real focus for this year whereas you know 2017 people were you know hawking around at clickbait around the retail apocalypse um
1: so (laughs) we'll come back to that phrase in a moment i'm very interested about that Um, Now, I see that. Well, Perch, you're using a lot of um, Internet of Things, IoT. Was there an aha moment regarding IoT and how you would use that to get competitive advantage, or was that just a natural progression of your thinking and the changing of business models? So
0: I mean, I, you know, I talk about IoT when I'm talking to technology folk or investors, but when I talk to my customers, we never even mention it. They don't. Of you course. Know, you try and you try and not explain to them, you know, how the sausage is made and try and confuse them, yes. right? So, um, you know, the reality is that the cost of equipment have gone down precipitously. Uh, the cost of internet right. activity and bandwidth have gone down. Um, and so, for the first time, you can really kind of deploy these really intelligent devices to the edge of the shelf for us, or you know, at the edge of where whatever your business is, and start okay. collecting data, and even you know, start forcing some type of interaction. Um, and so, most of the IoT that we see out there is like dumb sensors just collecting data. I think what's yeah. interesting about Perch is it's actually a distributed computing network. Each each Perch display is a Linux-based you know, marketing node that kind of interacts with clients, measures, you know, uh, customer behavior with computer vision, um, yeah. and also, you know, delivers media, reacts to people, measures what they do with the media. So it's much more interesting to me than just some of the, uh, I don't want to call it dumber, but uh, um, less sophisticated, less interactive um, explosions in the IoT market that are really around data yeah. collection.
1: And that's why I was interested in your use of IOT, because we've seen a a lot of use cases of, as you said, these kind of more dumber sensors. They're pulling in a lot of data that goes into a lake somewhere, whatever that is. People, first of all, they can't even structure it. They don't know what it means. It's all sitting there. It's going into a cloud because storage is cheap, or at least the way there there are cheaper ways to store it, (laughs) but um, they don't get much out of it. When I looked at some of your stuff at the in-store, it was all about trying to use these sensors to interact with the customer and what they were doing, and then trying to pull in some intelligent data that then feeds and correlates up into more intelligent knowledge for the store about what's happening, as opposed to just individual bits of data that nobody knows what to do. So it seems there's a lot going on in using intelligent sensors in an intelligent way um to deliver what what perch delivers
0: yeah absolutely and i think that's what, what some of the things that differentiates us from the retail analytics market where if you if you go to a store next time look up their cameras are cameras everywhere everywhere <laughs> yeah. right and they're tracking um you know kind of traffic flow and what they call yes. loss prevention which really means you can steal things yes um, <laughs> and but, so it's great all right i've got heat maps and trevor walked in and you know a 43 year old male with curly hair who needs a haircut, by the way? Sorry about that.
1: And you know, we
0: touch this product out on, on, you know, on the aisle, and you know, great. What are you going to do with that data?
1: Yes, exactly. Yes.
0: So, so for us, the, we're closed loop marketing system, just kind of like, you know, almost like a website, right, where you can use the data to decide how to personalize the journey. You can also decide, you know, how to improve it to do A/B testing. I'll give you an example. Um, Johnson and Johnson launched a, a, a beauty end um, cap, uh, which is the, the the display at the end of an aisle. Um, at my supermarkets <laughs> and interestingly enough you put your least performing product on the bottom row because it's the hardest to see right yeah. and so they had Neutrogena and Aveeno and then Clean & Clear which was their least performing product at the bottom and they had Kerry Washington for Neutrogena and Jennifer Aniston for Aveeno and for Clean & Clear they didn't have a spokesperson so they just used influencer videos yeah. what we saw Uh, was that even though the engagement was the lowest on the bottom shelf, because it's at the bottom, the conversion rate from pickup to screen was the highest. And so we said, what's the difference here? And we looked at it and we said, it's the influencer videos. What happens if we replace Kerry Washington and Jennifer Aniston with influencers? And what we've seen is a 20% increase in engagement and an additional 10% sales lift. So that closed looping, not only of the analytics, but the method by which to affect the behavior of the analytics yes. is accurate, right? Yes. And so it's not data for data's sake. We can move the needle. And by the way, traditional digital signage typically shows one to 4% sales lift, or just changing the content has, as it results in additional 10% sales lift. That shows about, oh. you know, at the for beauty for Johnson Johnson shows about 40% sales lift. That's oh. that's a, a, a substantive difference. So. It, I think it's important to to differentiate between just sensor and data collection and the things that are actionable in a closed loop type of way
1: yeah yeah and um i think you know it's a good example of big data not for the sake of big data or the data scientists scientific stuff that goes behind it it's taking a step back and saying how do we architect this from the experience and then capture information that tells us is that right i think a lot of companies we've come across in case studies are looking at that big data, IoT sensor stuff from the technological side. As you said, you don't, you know, you don't talk like that to the customers. It's we have that understood. Um I think that's where they're challenged. Uh, they spent a lot of money on the big data, the IoT, the cloud, all this kind of stuff. But they forgot about that, what we call customer journey or customer experience or customer interaction piece. And that should be the focus supported by what the data is telling us, not the data being the focus trying to drive a sale i think yeah. that's the differentiator can i ask um again not to dwell on the technologies of it but in using iot from your company did you face any challenges with say the technology skills gap connectivity availability of iot solutions and products and software um or has that improved over the years yeah
0: i mean look it's required a lot of deep investment it's a lot easier to deploy software to the cloud and you know God forbid a bug happens right like you just you just deploy your code and update it and hopefully you
1: know, yeah
0: sometimes it's more complex than that obviously but but with 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 the distributed network of marketing applications if thousands of nodes uh, with hardware and you know hardware that changes over the course of several years of operating the business um, yeah. it's a really interesting challenge um, so if there's anybody out there and you know DevOps and systems reliability engineers, we're actually hiring. Uh, it's a really fascinating challenge in terms of how you distribute these applications. But I, I think also, you know, when I started here even two and a half years ago, um, you know, the, the landscape around IoT has fundamentally changed, you know, uh, yes. Google's yeah. investment in IoT Core as part of Google Cloud Platform or GCP, um, you know, we've re, re kind of re-architected the plat- our platform around that. So we're starting to inherit better tool sets, and certainly in computer vision, you know, we've seen more progress in the last four or five years than in the 20, 25 years before that. So, you know, we're certainly riding a wave of a changing and vastly improving technology foundation. Um, So problems that we just spent a lot of time solving two years ago are now automatically solved, which is a little frustrating, right? Because we spent the time to solve the problems, but um, we also more deeply understand them. Um, and so there's a real value there to being early to market but not too early that you you've invested all the time in ip in a way that you can't change it to to, to yeah. leverage new technologies
1: yeah and that's interesting what we're seeing is um that a newish company like yourselves having to re-architect and re-engineer as you go along it's like you're rebuilding the boat that's you're sailing on as you're sailing on it from start to finish and I think organizations that have been around longer periods, that have had longer you know time to sweat their assets or to use their investments are struggling with this a little bit and probably losing a bit of ground that they think we've invested in whatever IT or services or digital that we're going to use but we don't expect to reinvest for another seven years I think those days are going away that it's continual updating and re-architecting and re-engineering based on the changes in the technologies that we're using, which is happening faster. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we 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 had some strategic interest uh, from a digital signage uh, company. And so we were talking about what the integration looks like. And we we're like, well, where are you hosted? And they're like, oh, we have our own hosting facility with bare metal. And I was like, really? In 2019, <laughs> 20- <laughs>
1: really?
0: <laughs> And it's going to be very difficult for them to migrate over because they're using older yeah. technologies and they're you know, running some very big deployments so do they yeah. stand up an entirely new network and then have to reinvest in managing two networks and then like it it, it, it to a certain extent it becomes very much the innovator's dilemma in that way um Love that. yeah
1: yeah, I think um, innovators 11 I love the book. I love the concepts that that are in there, and I think it's really challenging for some of those organizations, uh, even in retail, as you said. Um, they've been around for a long time. Some of them around hundreds of years, but now not only are they having to fight with the ever-changing technologies that are coming up, they're having to reinvent the business models that they operate in, which can be challenging, as well. Oh, and I think something like this, especially
0: same. for a public company, right? So absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, so Eric Nordstrom has been very public about Nordstrom, right? I mean, he wants to make some changes, but that would mean, you know, some short-term hits to revenue and profitability, and the, the investor said no. It's like, well, well, we can't continue going down this route. Uh, you know, one example is, you know, the big metric in physical brick-and-mortar retail is, you know, sales per square foot. But yes. if I go in and and I go to Bonobos and I go to select, you know, pants or whatever it is, you can't... You can't you can't actually buy in store you finish on the phone or you finish e-commerce and then they ship it to you so their revenue per square foot is zero right yes so yeah if you want to enable showrooming like right now people go in store and complete the purchase online 28 percent of the time something you alluded to like yep. people aren't capturing those sales so it turns out that stores are much more productive it's just you're not capturing the data and the other part about it is you know a lot of the reason that these guys are going out of business is finance, right? Yeah. Toys R Us you know, loaded up on, on debt to expand their physical footprint, and then all of a sudden they had more debt than they could pay because it was yeah. just too um, too fickle. And if you look at all these big guys that we're talking to, one of their biggest problems, whether it's J.C. JCPenney or Sears, like the, the real big talk is how are they restructuring their debt? How are they gonna make their debt payments? They just, they don't have the financial wherewithal to to, to be able to navigate and make changes, which means they're forced to continue down a strategy they know is not working, right? So you know, Macy's, for example, this week just announced that they are going to close a bunch of their less performing stores, open up a bunch of new smaller format stores, focus on the categories um, that make sense. And you know, even though they announced you know uh, closing about you know a fifth of their of their store footprint, the stock went up because this is the right move. You have to have that ability to to change directions and pivot. And a, a lot of Toys R Us, a lot of these companies just got put in a debt position to not be able to do that.
1: I think that was significant. Yeah, we say, we say this a lot in some of these tra- education classes that we do that, you know, you're challenged with the short term financial position of, say, public companies return value to shareholders, which is where the profit goes, rather than reinvest in innovation and changing. Because if you reinvest that now for a period of time, OK, you don't get the returns out in dividends, but you're probably going to be in business for a long enough time to recoup that later on. So I think it's too short-term thinking with the wrong financial vision or metrics as a, is where we are today in a lot of companies which which I think yeah. will will go against them.
0: Yeah, and look, that's all about capitalization strategy and and you know, I you know, what what you just said, you could have been talking about me, right? At perch, right? We're you know, uh despite you know all our successes, we haven't raised a series A institutional round yet um you know we just became cash flow positive so we can control our own yep. fate but uh you know i'm i'm ready to, to hire eight engineers and build my data like I, I have this vision for a data product that i think is really fascinating and so we're about to raise a series a but in the meantime to your point my concerns are short-term profitability you know i i could yep. i could literally load up on 10 different sales 10 salespeople right now a bunch yep. of engineers And over the course of a three-year period, that would be a fantastic investment, right? Um, But I've got to wait for the capitalization, the Series A, which we're raising this year, to go do it. And so, you know, it's not just the big companies that have to deal with short-term versus long-term pressures. It's certainly every startup I
1: know. We tend to forget that as well, yeah, yeah. Be interested in, um, you know, a big thing here is you're ultimately trying to drive that customer engagement back into physical stores, and I think a key part of this is, and I thought about this over the years, is if you can get customers in back into the store, you have the physical presence, they can physically touch the products, enable them to interact more, like online as well, in the store, and you're, you're going to get them. Um, but. What you're doing, I take it that you do need to use the latest in technologies to make this happen. Using traditional ways of IT or services or that doesn't quite get you there, does it? Is it enabled now because of we've cloud, we've IoT, we've big data, we've all these new techie things that that make this easier? Is that helping helping you in this? Sure. I mean, I
0: think we're we're riding a, a variety of technology trends and computer vision, IoT. Yeah uh that that certainly are really helpful but you know this isn't you know this isn't minority report this isn't 20 years away we are deploying this to thousands of screens yeah, now. yeah. yeah. cost effective it's not you know crazy expensive it's not some experiential agency thing you know this this is po- all positive roi driving so you know uh we, we used to say you know kind of Perch was the future of retail but the reality is that the future of retails now right it's um, now. yeah What's the, what's the, uh, who said that the quote that, yeah, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, uh, you know, what we're doing now is going to be everywhere, right? Yeah. Like there's no question that you deserve to have the media about the products as you shop for them. And, yeah. and that, you know, traditional, you know, digital signage fails miserably. Kiosks, nobody uses a kiosk. Less than 1% of shoppers will engage with the kiosk. Um, I think the CMO of Periella said it nicely is that nobody wants to go interact with the kiosk. The nice thing about Perch is it comes to interact with you.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Now, um, Trevor, you've spoken in the past about, uh, I think, augmented reality. So tell me a little bit about augmented reality and how that's going to change the retail experience for for customers. Sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think most people are familiar with augmented reality in the form of Snapchat filters or um, you know, Instagram filters or those type of things, where you know, yeah. in real time through your camera on a phone, uh, we we use technologies to update what you see, and uh, sometimes that Snapchat filters, actually one of my favorite ones. Is this uh, this bus stop in I think it was in London, and you know you think you're you're sitting in the bus stop and you think it's a glass window right next to you yep. it's actually a screen that's looking through a camera about what's going through on the other side of that you know window if you will yes yes so it looks like you see the people walking it looks like a window yes yes All yes, of yes. A sudden, aliens come and start sucking people up and you know <laughs> aliens and monsters crawl out of like the subway and grab people a yeah. tiger comes at you it's it's great it's it's i forgot what it's called it's uh, just to get pepsi search, search on google for pepsi augmented reality campaign it's yes. awesome um so you know there's magic leap that has raised i don't know how many billions of dollars and you know sold a couple hundred devices it's, yeah. um, you know uh the, the the cameras that are around the world are, are getting better and better at interpreting the world and recognizing objects and yep. that gives us the opportunity to enhance that and so you know Google Glass was very early on this where you know you could overlay information on the physical world. And I think the challenge to date is that it often requires you to have your phone out all the time walking around um, or you know you have to have Google glasses on or something like that. and you know this shows a lot of really interesting potential um, but you know you kind of need more mass market acceptance to to make it work and I think uh, Apple has announced that they're going to launch their glasses now in 2023, which is right, yeah. 2022. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I, I think that, that, that the notion of combining the digital world and the physical world, uh, the possibilities are endless and exciting. And there's so many like, just think about being, you know, let's say you're in inventory, right? Like inventory management, walking through the warehouse and be like, oh, that parcel should have gone and this this is empty, inventory low warning and like, Imagine all the intelligence of yep. doing your job better, uh, walking through the world, seeing Yelp reviews at the restaurants as you go by, seeing somebody, yeah, you know, who you don't remember but immediately comes up, does facial recognition. You're connected through X, Y, Z on LinkedIn. Oh my God, how much social anxiety would that cure? Right? I
1: I could do with some of that some days. Yes. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I just heard, so, good it's... so good to see you. How's your wife, Jenny? You know, like how are the kids?" I was that yeah. costa Rica vacation and you know whatever right you um, you, yeah. you become much more knowledgeable about the world by providing the right message at the right time overlaid on the physical world
1: i think that 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 that's good um you know so i guess um a question what's you know the future for retail look in general you mentioned earlier about a retail apocalypse very Fascinated about, about, about that phrase and your take on it. So, is that are we expecting a retail apocalypse anytime soon, Trevor?
0: There's no retail apocalypse. Uh, I, I you know, I, I just hate that word. It's like it's just people use it to clickbait. It's like in New York, yeah. every time you know, even an inch of snow, it's like it's a snowpocalypse. It's like it's, it's weathermen trying to sell you weather reports, right? Yes, yes. So, like, I, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, so uh, e-commerce is growing faster on a percentage basis than um, actual brick and mortar. But on a dollar basis, brick and mortar is growing more than e-commerce. Yes. For every store, every brand closing stores, there are five brands opening stores. Two thirds of, of, of retailers who have raised more than $6 million have opened stores, and Amazon, the king of e-commerce. Yes. What are they doing for growth?
1: Yes, opening, opening stores.
0: stores. Yes. And there's a variety of reasons for this. Facebook, you know, acquisition has gone up, you know, the cost has gone up 300% over the last five years. So all the direct-to-consumer companies are seeing their cost of acquisitions go up because of Facebook, because as you scale, it just gets more expensive. And all of a sudden, you're like, actually, it'd be a lot cheaper to open stores and acquire customers that way. Not only is it less expensive, you build better brand loyalty to customers are more profitable, they return their items less, it has a bigger brand impact stores turn out to be like it's funny talking to people who are like huh stores (laughs) yeah where 85 percent of transactions happen still you know a four or five trillion dollar market there's so much money being spent on stores and in-store infrastructure it's 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 mind-blowing and i think a lot of people are like oh stores are dead like Okay, all right, I
1: can't talk to you. I think um, it might be, they may be dead if they don't change or adapt to what's happening. As you said, one store closes, five will open, but they're opening with an experience. Some of those examples that you gave, even small stores, they're not stacking stuff on shelves and you just come in and pick off a shelf, they're actually giving you something something more. I do agree, I think, um, yeah, it's not a retail apocalypse if these or these stores and retail actually thinks that we've got to change our thinking, our model. Um, there's companies like yourself and there's technologies now to be used to help people do something different in the store. And I think, I, I explain this myself by saying that I believe that, um, you know, the retail in general have what Amazon desires, which are stores because they have that personal touch to the end consumer. That can pick up the product they're in the store, and then they can actually give them a more of an experience than to get online buying something of a commoditized item that you said yeah, if they're not happy with it, they can return it, but if you've had that experience, you might be happier with the purchase overall and perhaps not return it you know yeah. so I yeah. think there's there's a lot of change.
0: I think the challenge is people are hearing about all these store closures and it used to be, you know, there are all these big stores with giant, you know, real estate footprints because you used to compete by how much shelves you had on the shelves, right? So you want more products on shelves, you need a bigger space. But now that's not what it's about at all. And in fact, you know, the bigger the space you have, the harder it is to fill with experiences. So it's like, what is your retail experience per square foot as opposed to revenue per square foot is, is kind of like this new kind of measure. So we're seeing smaller footprint stores, better service, better information, better tracking from online to in-store back to online. And um, you're going to continue to see a lot more of that. And, and and the reason that there are five brands opening stores for every one that's closing is because all of those with a digital mindset, with an experienced mindset are they're thriving. They're just, they're not named Sears and JCPenney. They haven't been around for 50 years. Yeah. They're not the big anchor tenant at your mall that's closing down it's you know casper that went public and is opening up 200 stores it's madison reed that's opening up 800 stores yeah it's away all birds it's all these guys that you know warby parker everybody i talk about warby parker have you heard of warby parker
1: no i will look some no.
0: okay so they're, 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 people will say oh that's the place where i go online to buy glasses wrong they sell more glasses in store when they had just 50 stores right. and now they have well over 100 stores they are a brick and mortar you know eyeglass retailer that yes. happens to have a very strong e-commerce bra- um, presence and also just a great customer experience that links that e-commerce presence and your you know your customer data they yeah. know my prescription they know the last um, uh, frames that i bought they know everything about me so they can provide a great experience for me And so I think we're going to see a ton of change, but it's, it's, you know, uh, last year was called retail reinvention. This year, I think it's brick and mortars return to the throne.
1: Love it. Brick and mortars return to the throne. I do believe there is a space for them. They just need to change. The metric, tell me that metric you gave us there. Is it retail experience per square foot as opposed to revenue per square foot? I love it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Like, what what is the type of joy you create? Why do you Why why do I even come into the store? Like, a woman gets excited about going to Sephora or Mac, right? Because they get you know, there's an experience. If I have to go get more, you know, Old Spice deodorant, like this just sounds terrible, right? Like, (laughs) I I wish I could just order. Yeah, I'll just order it, right? Um, Actually, the reality is like I don't use Old Spice, but um, so I'm I'm not hating on Old Spice, Um, (laughs) uh, but. But yeah how do you create joy how do you create like you know i want to look forward to going shopping for clothes electronics a smart home you know i don't want it to be um a chore
1: yeah that's 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 true have you trevor have you any final words on how digital tech and services are changing how we live our lives
0: well i mean uh that's a really broad question right (laughs) Uh, by design yes (laughs) I like i'm I'm excited by lots of different technologies. I think we're finally you know coming to realize that the power and the dangers of data um, uh including social media uh yeah. and I think that kind of next phase is really figuring out like how do we create technologies that make our lives better um rather rather than maximize ad revenue mm-hmm. pardon me maximize ad revenue um, and uh, I think there's gonna be kind of a reinvention about you know how we communicate with each other, and what we post and what we share. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about you know, Apple Pay and getting rid of my wallet. Um, uh, I don't understand why I have to have a wallet with all these things. Um, uh, I'm excited by you know, obviously computer vision and really understanding what's going out there in the world and how we can yeah. aggregate information in new existing ways. Of course, that also has dangers to it. Um, just look at the monitoring that they do in China, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, starting to, there, there's, we're starting to realize our, our kind of sci-fi futures that I remember when I was growing up in the 80s on Washington Square Park. And, yes. you know, I think we really have both the opportunity and the responsibility to guide these technologies to make the world an amazing place, a joyful place, um, an engaging place, um, yeah. and not just uh, a really great advertising market.
1: I like that. You said we have the opportunity but the responsibility. I think that's important to, to finish on. Um, as you said we have some fantastic technologies and some fa- fantastic opportunities as well but we need to make sure that we do that correct. Trevor Sumner, thank you very much for joining us today on CCC Talks. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you very yeah, much. Absolutely.
0: Thanks, thanks for having me on and letting me talk about Perch and you know um, about technology. This has been really great and uh, you know Love the
1: show, and uh, let's do it again. Fantastic. Thanks again, Trevor. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.